everyone. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to Hi There Social Sesh. I'm Keegan. And I'm Jamie. And just to remind you, Hi There Social Sesh is a podcast where us two are going to be talking about current events, news and cannabis, alternative medicine, anything and everything in the space. We're going to also introduce you to some of the most iconic and interesting folks in cannabis. And that is what we're back to do today in our second episode. So, yes, thanks for joining us. How's your week going? What's up? You know, it feels like it's Friday. I'm ready for it to be Friday. Um, it's been a busy week, but it's been productive, so I can't complain too much. Um, how about you? Been okay. Um, I it was just Valentine's Day. Love is in the air. Um, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. Um, I, I say that because I'm like lightly dating, so I feel like aside from talking about work, um. That's kind of on my mind. That's exciting. It's exciting. I've been married for a long time now to me, it feels like at least. So, you know, gone are the days of the exciting dating. But with it, like I have kids. So Valentine's Day for us is like a lot of work, but it's really rewarding. I actually spent some time in my daughter's class for her Valentine's Day party. And I got to read aloud a story that was like a left-right game. And they're like, do you want to do it? I said, no, but I do have a podcast now, so this is good practice for me. Um, and and they they like that, so uh -huh. I I feel that sentiment like love is in the air, but also like I'm always on to the next thing, you know, with publishing and whatnot. So I'm excited. Four twenty, right? Like we're only in February still right now, but um, that means that four twenty is already knocking on my door. So excited to move on to the next the next thing. I'm curious, how long have you and your uh, husband been together? We, this was our 12th Valentine's Day together. Okay. So it'll be 13 years since we met in May. And um, I always say, like, I it was like love at first sight. So from the minute I always like count it from the minute I met him that we've been together, whether or not that's accurate is another discussion. But in my mind, yeah, 13 oh years. God. That's so sweet. Well, and I was going to ask, so did you miss the app? like the app craze like did you have the dating app experience at all you know that is something we always joke about is i totally missed it like i i it was right like right before the tinder days is when we met so we actually met like at a local show he's a drummer um and he was playing so obviously you know you have to go after the drummer but yeah we missed the whole like new age of dating which i guess is maybe ironic because now where i work high there you know we started this like, cannabis dating app we definitely like broadened our scope as a social cannabis app now um but yeah i definitely have like zero experience i do have a cousin though that um she had, was going through a divorce and starting to date and we had like a girls weekend and so my sisters and i were just so excited to like go through the app and just see like oh my gosh what is this like you can just swipe through and just it, it was insane it was insane i was gonna say like you really count yourself lucky i feel like i yeah i talked to my sister who's i think about your age like just a few years older than me and her and her husband were the same and i'm just like yeah it's it's you're better off i feel like everyone i talk to who's single and like wants to start dating is all is like trying to figure out how to do it without the apps anymore like it's awful well on that note since we're talking about social media, there was uh, some big cannabis social media news that just happened. Um, I'm going to let you take the lead on that. Yeah. So um, yesterday, the news hit that Twitter is now allowing cannabis advertising on their platform, which really is a huge move for the industry. Um, last month, we just saw that Google was easing restrictions on CBD advertising in particular. 
Uh, so this move from Twitter, you know, it caused a big uproar. Some people are excited as usual in the industry. Other people maybe have less than favorable things to say about the move, mostly that, you know, it is very limiting to what is allowed for advertising. But um, just like anything in the industry, any progress I see in the right direction is something that I usually try to get behind and support and be proud of. Um, and to that note, I noticed that like Rosie Matteo, who is the the founder of Matteo Communications, one of the leaders in cannabis PR, you know, she's actually, her team is working with Twitter to implement this. And just this morning, um, the first cannabis advertiser has been like revealed of who it is. I won't make you guess because that's not fair, but it's actually Truly, which is like a huge cannabis company. Um, and so... I think that's an interesting point because I did uh, retweet it on our high there. And, you know, of course, like there are some cannabis consumers that maybe aren't happy to see such a large, you know, corporate cannabis entity taking the first step. But also it's like, are we surprised? Um, so, yeah, overall, like I'm very positive about it. One thing I do think is worth interesting to explore, like that is interesting to explore is, you know, are other platforms going to follow this lead? And also, um, what does this mean for cannabis creators, right? Because, okay, they're going to let allow limiting advertising for legal cannabis companies. But does that mean that creators will be able to create content? Because so far, that's not what we're seeing. Um, yeah, so I will say really quick this morning on LinkedIn, I did notice two different professionals posting about how one of them obviously was like getting censored by them posting about consuming products on LinkedIn. But then another person woke up this morning to Twitter telling them their content wasn't appropriate. So, you know, it's obviously like the way that they're making money off ads is um, and regulating that isn't necessarily like rolling down to creators right away at all. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great uh, topic of discussion overall. Yeah, I mean, I think we also have to remember, obviously, this has just happened. So I think we're being left with a lot of questions. And I think you're exactly right. I'm really cynical because I have my feelings about the new Twitter and about Elon Musk um, that are maybe not relevant to this discussion. But I also do see, you know, when you're talking about other social media networks and everything, I know that Twitter was also in a place where they needed advertising. So I'm, uh, you know, there's also that side of the conversation of like, a little bit what is going to happen with other social media platforms as well as the amount of advertisers that initially pulled out of twitter after you know musk's twitter sort of became what it is um it makes me sort of wonder if that's going to hinder this sort of progress it's just interesting i think the context of it happening on twitter and exactly again like how that's going to grow and change with also what's all happening with Twitter. Yeah, no, it is. It is like interesting timing for sure. Um, and then too, obviously there's a lot of wait and see here, which is always how it feels to be in cannabis. Um, but overall, like I want to see, like, is Meta going to take a step in the right direction? You know, are they going to be next? From there, you know, um, I feel like TikTok might be a lost cause. Like they are so hard on cannabis creators that like I'm almost not holding out hope for them at this point. Uh, but I would love to see something from Meta. That would be cool. And um, overall, you know, their their restrictions for advertisers are pretty common sense. It's like you can't advertise to minors. You can you only can advertise people over twenty one. You have to be you know licensed to um, advertise those types of products in the territories that you're advertising. You must be you know legally licensed in all the appropriate ways. Like 
there are ways um, that they're restricting it, but also a lot of them are common sense. They aren't allowing um, advertisements that show consumption. And so to me, that's interesting. I mean, it also, it's not surprising, but again, you know, um, it'll, it'll be cool to see where, where it does go. And if it does, um, you know, continue to roll over to other platforms as well. I think it's likely it probably will. Like as much as I'm like, oh, Twitter is kind of going through its own thing. You look at how this happens in any other scenario of like, oh, Snapchat has the stories feature and then Instagram goes ahead and takes that. And then Twitter has its own iteration. And that's a different thing, but it also does show just how, I guess, competitive social media gets in that way. And as soon as one platform has something, the other ones, I feel like, have to kind of figure out how they're going to get that same something. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of it um, is, you know, they're they're trying to stay ahead of the competition. And as we know, the cannabis industry is huge and there's a lot of money. And so there, you know, there's a, a huge amount of revenue that they're missing out on not allowing cannabis companies that are compliant to advertise. Um, and I know that, you know, we're seeing this industry is huge. And even states that maybe before we weren't expecting them to have great sales, I, I mean, pretty much across the board, things are things are going well. So um, the money's still there, you know, even if it is a tough time in the industry right now. Um, I, I still have hope that it's going to continue to get stronger. Well, and, you know, speaking of, I guess, markets that can surprise us, the uh, bit I wanted to chat a little bit about, and this at this point happened at the beginning of February, but I reported on it and I just found it really stunning. Um, so last election season, Maryland and Missouri were both two of the five that had cannabis policy up. Uh, for vote um, that actually approved it. And Missouri actually on the 3rd, sales were said to be getting on the 6th, and they expedited it three days sooner. Uh, this is 87 days after they voted it in. And I guess my point of comparison is Maryland. Um, the big differences here is that Maryland legalized it as well, um, effective this July, but um, it didn't include elements around regulation. That's kind of coming separately. They just actually introduced earlier this month a couple bills cross-filed in the House and Senate to do that. But um, I just found it interesting to see the two different approaches because Missouri had it built in to the legislation that was, you know, voted in uh, over election season. Um, not only that, but in December, they started moving med dispensaries toward a comprehensive model so they could be wrecked by the time, you know, February came around and things were arrayed open. Um, so they're going to still keep seeing stores open up. But even this first weekend, I believe it was, yeah, it was over $12 million. Um, and according to the Missouri Cannabis Trade uh, Association, uh, it was five million plus on the first day which actually beat out the first day in illinois um in missouri and illinois has doubled the population so that's all to say i found it kind of amazing how quickly they were able to get the market up and going and also just how receptive uh citizens were how ready they were and that's not also to say that like maryland or any other state is doing it like a wrong way it just is you know, interesting to see how expedited it can be. And I also think that, you know, we have to keep an eye on in the future and be like, okay, so they got it up and going really quickly. How's this go? You know, like, how does this work? But um, I just found that really impressive. And I thought it was 
yeah, I thought it was amazing how quickly it happened. I think it's great because it shows that the proper planning and utilizing like a strong medical um, market that you've already built for yourself, like as a state, by by having that structure in place and utilizing it in with the like legislation that you're building, that's going to set you up for more success than just getting it passed, right? Like if you build, if you allow the the healthy environment that's already supplying patients with medicine to also like provide uh, cannabis to recreational consumers, like that's a great place to start, right? And then from there, you can still continue to license other um, companies, but it definitely is a really strong way to make sure you're getting, you know, safe cannabis in the hands of the consumers that want it. And like, can you imagine and those, those three days that were early, they made so much money, right? Like if they had just waited those three days, they would have missed out on those those millions and millions. So it's exciting to see the consumers wanting to buy the legal weed pay the big taxes and support an industry that is only continuing to, you know, surprise and grow every day. Yeah. Well, and I think, I also think you see what happens when sometimes those things lag, like not to, I mean, the big example is New York, you know, it's like they're slow to get that going. And because of that, it's led to sort of an opening for the illicit market and for, uh, unlicensed businesses and just different things that have created a little bit at the base of it more of a headache for regulators and for lawmakers who are trying to launch the legal market but it's just been forever you know so I think that that is the distinction of like you know you have your pros and cons but if you wait a really long time to introduce the actual structure of the market then yeah I mean you're wasting potential money and funds and you're also just inviting in i guess those alternatives even though they're not legal like people are going to try to take that in you know so yeah yeah we can always look back to and see you know um long term how that works out but i'm i'm pretty optimistic that it is a solid approach right yeah it seems it seems to be working in their favor so we're really excited to bring on today's guest we have justin Kahn joining us Justin is an entrepreneur, he's an educator, and he's an investor, and he's also the co-founder of Reefer. And that is Reefer, R-E-E-P-H-E-R. That's a company that offers personal liability protection to its members when it comes to dealing with monetary costs associated with cannabis-related DUI charges. So yeah, we're going to dig into a lot of stuff here. So I'm going to have him come in right now. Who's in the waiting room. Hello. Hi, y'all. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Doing well. It's nice to meet you both. Yeah, you as well. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. We're excited. Yeah, happy to. I uh, I was just checking out your guys's uh, first podcast. So uh, it was that earlier. So that's awesome. How long have you y'all been working together? Um, so we've actually been working together for many years. We worked together um at Culture Magazine. I used to be the editor in chief of High Times, so we worked together at High Times. And then when I came to high there, I brought Keegan with me as much um, just because yeah. I pre-engineered them. So <laughs> I'm I'm personally really excited to have you here today um, because I'm very interested in the topic of cannabis-related DUIs. It's something I've always been interested in reporting on and learning more about. Um, and so you've built Reefer to help solve a problem that many of us as consumers might not even realize that we have. Um, and that's being charged with a cannabis-related DUI. 
So whether, you know, someone's driving for their personal time or they're driving professionally, we really want to learn more about this problem and, you know, the solution that you've come up with to help with it. So um, let's get started. I, yeah, I just wanted to ask, you know, how, how prevalent are DUIs for cannabis? Uh, they're a lot more common than, than people think. Uh, the, the data isn't that great. Uh, there are more and more states that are actually starting to track it. Unfortunately, most states still just track DUIs as DUIs, and so you don't know if it's alcohol or cannabis or polydrug. For the states that do track it, the, the average is, is that cannabis DUIs are on the rise about 30% year over year. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, when it comes to a cannabis DUI charge, is there like a typical expectation, you know, folks can expect there? Uh, because I guess that, yeah, that, that raises the question, you know, of, of, I guess, associated fines or if someone gets a cannabis DUI, can they typically expect like arrest or even jail time with those offenses? All, all great questions. So let, let's back up real quick and let's just talk about uh, uh, DUI testing. Okay, so uh, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a history lesson. So it used to be, if you remember, canine units would get called out anytime there was a you know suspicion of drugs. The individual would have to wait. The canine unit would search the car, and then based on their results, then that could lead to a possible arrest. The Supreme Court ruled, this is a few years ago, that canine, that detaining people to wait for canine units was actually unconstitutional. So what police departments started to do at that point was training the police officers to become what they are called uh, DREs or drug recognition expert. Okay. And what to become a DRE basically is like a two or a three day, sometimes as long as a five day course where they're training police officers to look for um, signs of impairment. And they're typically doing that through pattern recognition. One of the things that they specifically look out for cannabis consumers is your ability to cross your eyes. Like that's an example. Another one's walking the line. Another one is like counting backwards from a hundred, subtracting seven each time. You know, it's like little tests that are designed in order to trip you up. And the reason why they do that is yes, they are looking for people who are impaired. And we need to acknowledge that the work that police officers do is good work. Like they're trying to keep impaired people off of the road. That's what their job is. But the reality is that there is no test for impairment other than the police officer's perception. The only test that they have that are admissible in court is testing for presence of THC and cannabinoids, right? And we, we all know that presence is not a good indicator for impairment. However, presence is what they use to charge people with, with a cannabis crime. So you ask questions, Keegan, around like, can an individual expect jail time? Can they expect fines? Things like that. Well, let's talk about what that actual process looks like. If you're an individual you get pulled over, you get in an accident, you go through a check light, you have a police officer interaction, 
the police officer may ask you a question like, do you smoke marijuana? Or when's the last time that you consumed pot, right? And you may say, I don't do that. I haven't done that in weeks. You know, I only do that at night. You know, whatever the answer is, that's simply a mechanism for a police officer to then ask you additional questions. If the officer suspects that you're under the influence, the next step typically is, is that they're going to ask you to step out of the car and to contact, conduct some sort of a roadside test. If you deny them, if you say, no, you don't want to do that, in most states, that's an automatic license suspension, electronic warrant, we're going to tow your car, take you to jail, you have your fingerprinted, we're going to do a drug test on you. And if any amount of uh, any drug shows up in your system, that can be enough to to charge you with a crime. Um, so if you agree to the test, you know, then again, you're putting yourself against a police officer who is looking for a pattern recognition and is intent, you know, in most situations and looking for people who they think are actively committing a crime. And if that's the case, it's just what I said. Your car is going to get be towed and impounded. You're going to be taken to jail, fingerprinted and ID'd. You're going to be forced to give a fluid sample. If there was no property damage, no, no uh, injuries, anything like that, in most states, they release you on your own recognizance. But in some states, you have to be bailed out of jail. And at that point, you're playing a waiting game. Uh, you're typically waiting for the results to come back of whatever the drug test was that it was done. And for cannabis consumers, if, if any amount of THC or cannabinoids show in your system, or in some states they have arbitrary levels of either cannabinoids that you can have in your system or uh, uh, metabolites that you can have in your system. But if you pass this arbitrary threshold, like most states, it's like five nanograms per milliliter. We ran a test. Like I cycle, I'm a cannabis consumer and I uh, cycle on and off in three month increments. I went a full three months after cycling off and was still testing positive for cannabinoids in my system, right? And, and so uh, in Utah is a zero tolerance state. And so it just goes to show that well, you know, regular longtime users can still test positive weeks after they have they have stopped consuming. So if cannabinoids show up in your system, then that's enough to charge you with a crime. You're going to re receive a summons to appear in court and you're going to have your license suspension hearing. You're going to have, you know, whatever your defense hearings are. And eventually, you know, a verdict is going to be reached. And that could be guilty, not guilty, plea to pay, bans, drug deferment. You know, there's, there's a bunch of different scenarios that come along with that. And, you know, the thing that it, it, I would want your listeners and your readers to just think about why this is such a problem is all of that stuff that I went through that I just listed those are all expenses that the individual has to incur all before they've even had their day in court, all before they've ever even been charged with a crime. And that's why I started this company is because 
you know, like I realized very early on in my career that just the mere accusation of a cannabis crime could be enough to take all that stuff away from me. It could take away my livelihood uh, and my ability to make money. And so it, it made me realize that if I have this thought every time I get behind the wheel, that there are millions of other people that are also going through this type of, of, of mental gymnastics, you know, when they're thinking about consuming cannabis and yet still obeying and respecting the laws where they yeah, that's, I think it's insane because it really puts someone who is just a, a long-time consumer, even if they're not consuming in an irresponsible way, you know, um, if I smoke, you know, every day at night and then I wake up in the morning and take my kids to school, the fact that I'm at risk for DUI is just unfathomable, correct? You know, it's like I'm not intoxicated, but the fact that I may be a medicinal user or hypothetically, you know, I'm just a recreational user, whatever it is, um, it seems like no matter who you are, or also you're saying this is obviously a problem in Utah that's a zero tolerance state, but I think it's also a problem where I'm at in California, right? Like this is a state to state it's a problem. issue. It's a problem in every single state because it's illegal in every single state to drive under the influence. And cannabis DUI laws are based on alcohol DUI laws. You know, alcohol DUI laws, the science is there. It makes a lot of sense. I know if I drink 0.02 of alcohol, but it's going to do, uh, if a shot of alcohol, it's going to impact my, my body by 0.02. But with cannabis, you know, like if I smoked a joint three days ago and hadn't consumed anything and I was subjected to, to a drug test today, there would be cannabinoids and THC that would show up in my system. And that that's enough in the state of Utah and in most states, honestly, to charge somebody with a crime. So on that note, I'm curious, I want to switch gears a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit more about reefer and uh, I guess how that sort of corresponds and kind of combats some of those issues? Yes. Thank you for that. So what reefer is, is it is a financial protection plan for cannabis consumers. The basic premise is our members pay a small monthly fee, usually starts at around $15 a month, depending on the type of coverage that they need. And in exchange for that, if they're charged with a cannabis crime, anything from possession up to a DUI, then a $15,000 expense plan kicks in to pay not only for all the legal expenses, but also all the other life disruption expenses that come from having to navigate through this process and, and, and to defend yourself. So we pay up to $1,500 if your car gets towed or impounded. We pay up to $1,500 if you need to take time off of work to appear in court. We pay up to $1,000 if you need money for alternative transportation or ride sharing or public transportation. Um, and then we pay money uh, up to $1,000 for each category if you have pretrial expenses or personal hardship expenses or just even incidental expenses. Because the thing that I don't think a lot of people really realize it, when it comes to something like being charged with a cannabis DUI in particular, is how much impact and knock-on effects 
it can have in your life very quickly. And if you don't have the means to be able to cover those expenses and to navigate through those changes quickly, it can set you back for a long time to come. Is there, you know, is there something really interesting here for employers in particular, you know, employers that employ um, people that are drivers? And um, how do you, you know, I would just like to hear about that. As it relates to uh, employers and drivers, I'm really stoked that you asked that question because we have just rolled out some new products that are targeting the employer uh, space and also individuals who have commercial driver's licenses. Um, so now if you are an employer and you know we have started focusing really on the cannabis sector first, because we're going to assume that everybody in that in the industry or a majority of them are, are consumers. Um, and so now they can offer Reefer as an employer-sponsored product for their employees and also the contractors in their network. Um, and then now we also have a coverage for commercial driver's license holders that can now purchase Reefer for themselves. Oh, wow. So you really are covering all bases then. That's great. I love that um, that just rolled out too. That's great timing. So what what advice do you give to drivers in general who are cannabis consumers? One, uh, don't smoke in the car. If you're going to drive with it, make sure that it's in its original packaging. Keep it either in your trunk or in your lockbox, your glove box. Uh, don't keep paraphernalia. In your car, that's things like rolling papers, vape pens, uh, even lighters, grinders, you know, all that kind of stuff can be used against you where all of a sudden you think that because you're a, a license holder, you're allowed to have that stuff in your car. And in reality, you're not, right? Like that can all be used to, to add to the, the charges. The other thing that I would say that, that, that I hope this message really resonates is that a medical card or living in a state where cannabis is recreational does not excuse you from cannabis crime. And that's a big misconception that people have is that, oh, I have a medical card. I'm fine. I don't need to worry about getting pulled over. That's not the case, right? A medical card does not excuse you. So it's great that you have one. It's great that it's a, a something that you can use in your defense uh, and also use to acquire cannabis legally, but it will not protect you in any way, shape, or form if you have to go to de go to court to defend yourself. No, that's that is definitely interesting. I think um, you know I've always lived in California my whole life, so I tend to be in like a little California bubble of cannabis and. Um, even for myself, you know, looking into Reefer, I, it made me stir a little bit, you know, I'm like, oh man, like it's not something that's at top of mind for a lot of consumers, right? It's uh, something that it's easier to sweep under the rug because it is kind of daunting to say the least that that could affect anyone, you know, no one's immune from it. So. And, and, and I appreciate the opportunity to, you know, to come on your show and, and to talk about it because it's. You know, it's it's a hard conversation to have. Most people don't know that this is a problem, let alone that there's a solution for it. 
And also, you know, there's a, an element of, of, a, of a discussion of normalization that we need to have. Cannabis is an intoxicating substance. It can impair your ability to drive, but it's not, the laws don't make sense. The technology doesn't make sense. The punishment doesn't make sense. And, you know, because of that, there needs to be a safety net there for the individuals who want it that can have that financial protection that if they do end up in this situation, that they have a helping hand to get themselves out of. Definitely. Well, and I think it's also something that, and maybe I see this more often because I'm a cannabis journalist, but you see the developments in technology and, you know, things like THC breathalyzers and things like that, where it's like, hey, we're getting there. But like that almost misunderstanding of like, it's not like that stuff is being actively used. It's being developed. Um, and even then it's not where it needs to be. Like when we're going out on the roads, that's we're we're in a different place. Right. And, and like, like, let's use like, uh, like there's a company called Hound Labs that's one of the bigger cannabis breathalyzer and, uh, companies. And where they have actually seen uh, uptick is uh, in the commercial space. Right. So like warehouses like Amazon or whatever are using it to test individuals to make sure that they're not getting high on, on the job. But the problem there, even with those types of technologies, is is what they're looking for is smoke. Okay, well, what about edible, right? You know, like, it doesn't, like, even though the technology can do certain things, it's not a robust technology, and more importantly, none of that is admissible in court. So they're just simply tools that a police officer uses to help them make the decision or the judgment as to whether or not they think the individual is impaired. And that's why you see lawyers, you know, like the Pot Brothers or other examples that are like, don't consent to the testing. Don't consent to any of those things. Like, fight it in court because you have a better chance. Well, that's great advice, but if you don't have the money to pay for a lawyer, why, you you know, like, it, it's not going to help you. And so that's the where, you know, like, the advice that's out there and you should follow it, plus Reefer gives you kind of the best opportunity to make sure that you can get through a situation like this without it having a, a, a major negative impact on, on your life. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, um, the, the helpful aspect of the product that you've created, because a lot of what, you know, I try to do in the cannabis industry is I, I do want to make a positive impact. And I feel like there's definitely like a high level of caring about the consumer and educating people on this, um, this problem, and then also providing a solution. So I, I think that it's not just a product that like, um, is interesting to learn about, but I think it really is going to help people. And it could be the difference between somebody, you know, um, going through a serious financial crisis to having the support in their back pocket to where their family's not going to be more affected than you know, the charge is already going to affect them. Yeah. And then, okay, one more thing. Um, I was just poking around today and saw the THC calculator on the site. Okay. So I thought that was really interesting that you guys provide that. Um, I haven't done it yet. I will, though. I was just poking around. I didn't get too far into it. Um, but uh, 
basically we go in there and we can plug in our age, our weight, our height, and our frequency of a consumption, the days since the use, and the dosages, all of that, more information as well. And then it'll give us an idea of, um, obviously it's not something that is an actual drug test and it shouldn't be, you know, replaced for it, but it could give people a better perception, just like the little card or the little chart that comes when you get your license. And it's like, hey, if you have this many drinks, this is what you can expect, right? Uh, so I thought that was really clever that you guys offer that on your website. I, I appreciate that. We, uh, you know, we, the things that we're trying to do relative to education and engagement is giving people tools and resources to know what the laws are like in their states, but also, you know, like understanding things like females metabolize cannabis at a different rate than males do. And, you know, depending on how you consume it, whether it be smoking or edibles, it can stay in your system for longer periods of time. And so thanks for giving the disclaimer. It's not a drug test. Can't be used in court, right? We're going off of the limited information that we're collecting. But, you know, like this is something that can help you in your decision making about hmm, you know, while I smoked eight hours ago, would I still test positive now? Or I ate a gummy yesterday, would I still test positive now? And it's just a, an additional piece of information that, that can help, you know, members and non-members to, to make better decisions. Yeah, I think it goes back to, I mean, what so many conversations I feel like I haven't cannabis do anymore, but around centering education is so important because without uh, these sort of resources or folks like you or services like Reefer, I just don't think that, you know, or like Jamie and I were just talking about, we're both in the space and it's maybe not even something that we think about very much. Yeah. Th huge things for being a part of this. And um, yeah, we can't wait to share it with people and hopefully, you know, make a difference in, in some people's lives. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Keegan. It's it's been a pleasure to to speak with you today. Thank you, Justin. Right. Have a good one. You bye bye. So now we're gonna go on to our oohs and ewes, where we talk about things that ooh we love and ew we hate. Um, because we just had Justin on ew to cannabis DUIs for people who are not intoxicated. For real, I think that's a big ew. Um, but I think that's what I have is just one big ew for a problem that kind of is you know super problematic yeah it's it is really interesting after that conversation to think about we still don't have any sort of system to deal with cannabis and her driving that makes sense like it's a little horrifying no that's how i felt when i first started looking into reefer and the and um justin in particular and i'm like why is this still a problem like i remember writing about this a very very long time ago and being like oh they're making breathalyzers and oh they're like retraining their canines to not detect weed and like we're getting there and then like the fact that it's still just um a problem is it's ridiculous and horrifying yeah yeah that's a that's a quality ew my other what was my ew it actually ties into my ew so my ew is the fact that i have a friend whose partner works as a general manager at a dispensary locally and yeah, the other day I was about to go out with my friend and her partner. Uh, I think I just mentioned the word weed or cannabis, just like a little, you know, 
mention that floated into his ear and he just shot up and gave me like a little gift bag of cannabis essentials to bring home. And it was probably Jamie, like five grams in cartridges and then like an eighth of flour and these weird little cannabis cordials that were like kind of gross, but they were free. So I loved them. Right. So, <laughs> like, you know, they taste gross, but ew, they're free. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what my ew is because like all of these cartridges have been great just to, you know, just have my little adult sippy cup this week while I'm doing other things and I took a THC break in January so it's been kind of fun this last week to kind of be heavier on it and just be like eh, whatever but my ew is generally this is like not not umbrella statement for all flavored cartridges so don't come after me but um I would say artificial cartridge flavors are kind of an ew for me I don't think they taste good like I like tasting the terpenes um, more than I like tasting the terpenes plus artificial watermelon or whatever the fuck they're trying to go for. The the one I tried yesterday tastes like Pedialyte. It tastes like, like, you know, like chalky fruit flavor from a, like, like a, being a child and being ill. And that's not what I want to be tasting when I'm trying to get high. Yeah, I... I completely agree with that. I'm I'm definitely a fan of flour. And so I, I do also like when my vapes taste like flowery. <laughs> you know, they taste like weed. Um, any artificial, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna say I haven't knocked I can't I can't say to all because I mean I'm a lot of times like if it's weed, I'm like, okay, cool, like it's good enough. Right. But yeah, like the simpler the better. Like you can do added terpenes, you can make it taste a certain way, but like there's definitely a way to overdo it too. And I'd say almost like I haven't seen the problem as much recently, but like back in the day, I used to taste some weird stuff. You know, it was like some random scientists off the the um, the legacy market back in the day. You know, they were making their own stuff, and and those would bring some cool flavors, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I I totally feel you on that. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll get there. Like maybe there will be like there was one that I tasted that was supposed to be like a cake flavor. And it wasn't bad for, like, half of it. So, you know, that's a win. Like, half of the vape, it tasted okay. So I'll give it that. Maybe we'll get there. But, um, yeah, if I had to choose, it would be just, like, make it taste like weed. Like, I can just, it can just be, like, a dab that I'm hitting on a pad. Like, I don't, I don't care. 100%. Even with my edibles, like, um, I don't mind, like, people, I bet back in the day, we'd say, like, a medicinal taste, right? Like, before or like legalization, like, oh, it has a medicinal taste, right? Which means weed. I, it's still to me, I don't know if there's like nostalgia there, you know, but um, I just, I don't mind the taste of weed in my food. I don't mind it in a vape. I don't mind it in flour. Like I like it. I like the smell. I like the taste. I like the lifestyle, you know? I think I want it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think there's also something to be said. That could be a whole other topic that I'm sure we will get into the second we get a cannabis chef on here. But um, the more I talk to culinary professionals in cannabis, too, I really enjoy hearing more of that perspective of incorporating the flavors of cannabis and the terpenes into the meal and like being like, hey, cannabis is an ingredient here. We're not trying to hide it. We're not trying to have it just be like, THC drops so you get high and that's the uh, the extent of it 100% yeah rather than trying to like mask it with like a flavor like let's just embrace it and compliment it absolutely and yeah 
not to give too much away, but you know, we do have a culinary professional coming up pretty soon here. Uh, so uh, you start putting those little questions in a box somewhere because I will need you to pour. <laughs> I will. Cool. Well, y'all, I guess that was our second episode. How we do? We're doing great. Yeah, it, it was fun. And I, we hope that you guys are having fun with us. So um, definitely make sure to follow us. So to follow the Hi There activity, you can follow us on Instagram at Hi There app. You can follow Keegan at Promwich. You can follow me, my name, Jamie El Solis. Also, um, we do want you to follow our podcast. So be sure to tune in and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Or if you want to see our faces, hello. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube as well. And we are going to be back in two Wednesdays. So we will have two podcasts a month every other Wednesday. We will be back in two weeks with another iconic guest and also with ourselves because we're your hosts. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's it, y'all. Uh, thanks again for joining our conversation. And remember, there's always a spot saved for you in our sesh. We will see you later. All right. Bye, everyone.